we're moving out of the book of Genesis. We're moving in the book of Exodus. There's, uh, there's booklets available. If you haven't got one yet, you can, you can grab one, uh, the long story short booklets. And they have a reading plan in them. And we encourage you to kind of do the reading plan during the week. It'll help fill in the gaps of the story. As obviously the, there's way more content than we have time to cover on a Sunday morning. And that kind of just fills in some of those gaps for you. Uh, that is also available online if you... Uh, go to our website. You can download the PDF uh, version of the, the booklet, and there's a space in there that you can take notes and stuff uh, during the sermon. So week one, we looked at the creation. Week two, uh, last week, we looked at the promise, and we talked about Abraham, and so how God actually came and called Abraham, that God initiate, that God pursues us, and, and this happened thousands and thousands of years ago. There was a man named Abraham, or Abram, before God changed his name, and God initiated a conversation with him. And as Abraham got to know this God, he recognized that God, this God, was unlike any other gods uh, that Abraham knew of, that this God was different. And obviously Abraham grew up in this polytheistic kind of world, which, which is this world that believes in many gods. And, and God called Abraham out of that space to rethink about what God is like. And so we looked at Genesis 12 uh, when Abraham called God. We looked at Genesis 22 when, when Abraham was, was tested because God said, I'm going to make you into a great na- nation. But there was one problem, that Abraham didn't have any kids. And when God gave him that promise, he was 75 and then get this, he waited 25 years for God to fulfill his promise to give him a kid. Okay, how many of you would doubt God? Okay, I would. And so, so Abraham and Sarah, his wife, did what most of us would do and say, well, if God's not going to fulfill his promise, I'm going to find some other way around it because I'm not sure I can trust God. And so uh, Abraham uh, slept with one of his servants, uh, one, and uh, they, had a, they had a kid named Ishmael. But uh, God still fulfilled his promise and eventually at the age of 100 gave him a child named Isaac. The reason why that story is pretty important is because this, Abraham is the father, so to speak, of many of the, monothe- or the three primary monotheistic faiths. So monotheism, belief in one God. So Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all kind of trace their roots uh, back to Abraham. And so our faith that we have inherited is actually part of the story so when we read these promises, when we read these stories, it's not just stories from thousands of years ago. It's actually a story that we are currently a part of, the thing that God continues to do. So Abraham had Isaac, and God finally fulfilled this promise. Then in Genesis 22, we see that God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham didn't really think anything of it because gods at this time would require more and more and more and more. We talked about that Last week. But this story is one where God says, enough is enough. You actually don't have to sacrifice your son. I will provide. And so God provided for Abraham in that moment. And so last week we looked at God's provision, God's promise. And then Isaac. We kind of follow the storyline. Isaac has some kids. He has a kid named Jacob and Esau. And there's a a whole kind of sibling rivalry uh, story in there that's great. That hopefully you read about in your reading this week. but Jacob stole the blessing from Esau, the oldest. Is there any siblings here that have, uh, have, older br- that have younger siblings? Sorry. You got younger siblings? Okay, how many of you feel like your siblings just got it way better than you all the time? Like they... Okay, I, I'm a younger sibling to my older brother, but I'm the middle. So I actually had a younger brother. And, and, and my younger brother got like all of this, this pent-up anger and frustration from me and my older brother. And so we just... 
my older brother passed it down to me, and then I would pass it down to him because he just, man, he just seemed to ruin my life. Uh, the younger brothers always get everything. This is the story, Jacob and Esau. Jacob actually steals the blessing uh, from Esau. And then there, there's a number of chapters that just weaves this incredible story of Jacob. And then Jacob wrestles with God. And when Jacob wrestles with God one night, God says, I'm going to give you a new name. And so God gives Jacob the name Israel. And so when we think about the story of Israel, where did that nation come from? Well, it came from Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. So Jacob gets renamed Israel, and Jacob has a bunch of kids. And so here's, here's a list of all Jacob's kids. And who would these kids become? They would actually become the 12 tribes of Israel. Right, so this is where the tribes came from. And if you're really following closely in your Bible, you'll notice that, well, there's some tribes that aren't mentioned, and there's some that are, and this is the only reason why. Because the, the Levites, God kind of took them aside and said, I'm not going to give you land. Uh, you're not going to inherit land because you're going to be among all of the other tribes because I'm going to set you aside uh, to do the Lord's work and to be priests. And, and so they didn't actually get a physical inheritance. And then Joseph, they kind of took Joseph's kids, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they created tribes out of Joseph's kids. Okay, so that's where you get the 12 tribes of Israel from. There's a really, really quick, probably too quick of a lesson to fast forward us up to speed. And so Joseph, Joseph had a dream that he'd rule over his brothers. So his brothers did what? They sold him. If my brothers told me that they were going to rule over me, I probably would do the same thing. You sell them, you get rid of them. And so this happened to Joseph, and Joseph is taken, and, and, and there's this incredible story throughout the end of Genesis, the ups and downs, the roller coaster of Joseph's story, the highs and the lows. And through twists and turns, Joseph actually finds himself in a prominent position in Egypt. He's second in command to the Pharaoh. And this is where the story of Exodus picks up. Genesis is the prequel to Exodus, and so the whole story that at this point is bringing us to kind of to the main event, the Exodus story. And here we see, the beginning of Exodus, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. So, so what happened was there was a famine in the land, and everybody was, was starving, everybody needed food. And so Joseph was in Egypt, all of Joseph's family, his brothers needed to go to Egypt. His father thought he was dead, uh, but all of his brothers go to Egypt, and they find, uh, they, they, go, they go to Pharaoh, and they want to ask for some food. And the person that they end up interacting with is Joseph. And so there's an exchange between the brothers, and finally, Joseph presents himself and says, I'm your brother. And so the whole family ends up coming over to Egypt. 400 years pass. And what was once this little family of 12 uh, multiplies and multiplies, and they're growing into a nation, but they're under the oppression of the Egyptians. So in time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation, but their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, what does it say there? They multiplied. Everybody say they multiplied. They multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Does anybody hear an echo in that statement? That is the echo of God's promise to Abraham. Right, that he was going to make him a great nation. That his descendants will be as many as the, the stars in the sky. It's actually an echo of what God commanded Adam and Eve to do, to be fruitful and multiply. 
And so we, hear, we see here the writer in Exodus echoing what God was promising and inviting people to all along. Except, I'm sure Abraham didn't think that the multiplication and this power and this great nation would actually be in oppression, uh, well, would be oppressed by the Egyptians. How often does something on the surface not look like we wanted it to, but yet God was doing what he intended beneath the surface? How often do we find ourselves in places that we never intended to be, but yet it's in those places that God does something that he couldn't otherwise do? And here on the surface, it looks like the Israelites are in a bad situation, yet God, over those 400 years, was doing something in them that was preparing them to be the nation that he was calling them to be. And so they were in slavery, they're oppressed, and they're multiplying, they're growing, and it says that they're, they're becoming extremely powerful. And this was bad news to Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh liked his power. Pharaoh was building his own kingdom. And so this kind of sets the, the stage for the story of Moses. How many of you guys have seen Prince of Egypt? Right, how many of you guys have seen that really, really old Moses story? I, 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 for, I, forget what it was, I forget what it was called, but it was like over three hours long, and it used to be on cable TV, and it was probably really bad acting, but as a little kid, I just thought it was so cool. Uh, so we're kind of familiar with this story of Moses. So the number and the strength of the Israelites have grown. It threatened Pharaoh and the kingdom that he was trying to build. And so he had this plan to kill all of the baby boys. If we could just kill the boys, then I can diminish the threat to my power. And so he's trying to kill the, the boys, but the midwives uh, who just had, who were connected to God, they were, they were Egyptians, they, they felt like that was wrong in their spirit. And so they were sparing the baby boys in this story. We have the story of this mom who places the baby Moses in a papyrus basket. And the word there in the scripture is the same word as ark. We talked about the Noah and the ark story. It's the only two times that word exists in the scriptures. And so I think the biblical writer is just echoing this, this habit that God has of actually saving, redeeming, rescuing, restarting. And so here we see the story again where, where God is doing something new, that he's, he's saving Moses for a purpose. Mom gives up the boy, puts him in this basket. He's recovered, Moses is recovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who takes him, selects an Israelite woman to help nurse and raise him, and then pays this woman to raise him. Guess who that woman was? It was Moses' mom. Talk about a good deal. You think you're going to lose your kid. Not only do you not lose your kid, you get your kid back, and then you get paid to raise him. Can I get an amen? Some of you parents are like, I wish I could just get rid of my kids. But imagine, you, you chose to do that, and then they, better deal, you took them back, you got paid to raise them, and then uh, during their teenage years, when they were in a lot of trouble, you actually just gave them back to Pharaoh. And uh, So here's Moses, his mom raises him, nurses him, she gets paid to do it, and then he becomes a teenager, she gives him back to Pharaoh's daughter, he grows up in royalty, and so he learns the culture, he learns the language. He grows up with wealth. He grows up with power. He sits in a position of stature. And then one day something changes. Many years later, when Moses had grown up 
he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. So Moses sees one of his own getting beaten up. And he's probably seen this day after day after day after day, his people being enslaved, his people being oppressed, his people getting beaten up. And he's probably, I'm guessing he has some kind of sense of guilt because he's growing up in a position of power as just like an Egyptian. But yet he knows his roots, he knows where he came from, and he sees himself in them. He sees himself in them. And he starts to have sympathy. He starts to have compassion. Something in him breaks. And he says, enough is enough. This is not okay. And there's a moment where Moses cared more about the plight of his own people than he did about his own safety. In this moment of rage, in this moment of of, this isn't right, he makes a decision that's going to change the course of his life. And so he takes the life of one of these Egyptians. And then we read... In the next story, in the next day, uh, he saw two Hebrews fighting, two of his own people fighting. He went to the one and said, why are you fighting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said to him, who are you to judge me? Are you going to kill me in the same way you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was like, "Uh uh-oh, I got caught. And if they saw me, who else saw me? The word is going to get out. And so Moses realized that his time in Egypt was done and that his life was in danger. And Pharaoh tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh. And we know from the book of Acts in chapter 7 that Moses at this point was 40 years old. He came to the land of Midian where he sat down at a well. And so let me give you a hint. Anytime you're reading the biblical story and you see somebody sit down at a well, your, your alert should go off because before there was Tinder, there was wells. Before there was dating apps, there was wells. And so anytime somebody goes to sit down at a well, often the end result is that, you know, these two people end up getting married. And so sure enough, Moses goes to this well, meets a lady there, Zipporah, and she thought he was worth taking home and introducing to her dad. They ended up getting married. They ended up having a family. Moses ended up being a shepherd. Moses spent the next 40 years of his life away from Egypt detoxing from Egypt, creating a separate life, trying to maybe ignore his past and just move on and carry on. Created a family, had a job. And one day Moses is shepherding his sheep near a mountain and he sees this burning bush. But he knows that, th- that this bush isn't burning up. It's, it's not just staying the way it is, but it's on fire. And so it it strikes him. So he goes towards it, and and as he goes towards it, he hears, Moses, Moses. Moses responds, here I am. This is the conversation that happens. And the Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppressed of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Here's what happens. God says, I see. I can see it. I can hear it. I know. I understand. 
and I'm here to rescue. God sees, God hears, God knows, God rescues. God sees, God hears, God knows, and God rescues. In fact, I think what happens here is there's this alignment between what happened 40 years ago in Moses' heart and what he hears God say to him. Moses, remember when you were so upset at the injustice that you took the life of an Egyptian man? Well, there was something holy in that anger. Regardless of what you did with it, there was something in it because I too see. I too have heard the cries of those people. I know what's happening. And I actually have a plan to rescue. This holy discontent. Something happened in Moses where he said, this is not okay. Maybe he didn't handle it in the best way, but there was something holy about what he felt when he was in Egypt and he saw himself in another human being and he said, this can't go on. I have to do something about this. A holy discontent is when there's alignment between the human heart and God's heart. An alignment between what we see and what God sees, what God hears and what we hear. Moses saw something, and it echoed in the heavens. And God says, I see it too. I hear it too. And this is important. I think many of us often get angry and upset at the way the world is. But maybe we don't realize that God is that way too, that he's upset, that he's angry, that he sees what we see. And the problem is that when we think we're the only one that sees it, when we're the only one that hears it, we have a habit as human beings to point the finger to God and say, God, what are you going to do about it? And maybe for those 40 years, that's what Moses was doing. God, what are you going to do about it? But when we realize that God sees and he hears and he understands and he wants to rescue and we feel a discontent, it, it becomes a holy discontent because we're resonating with the heart of God. God, how can you let that happen? is often how we talk when we don't recognize that God feels the same way. God, can I even trust you? Maybe you've asked these questions. God, how can you let that happen? Can I even trust you? Maybe you're currently asking those questions. God, what are you going to do about it? Well, God has an interesting answer to that question. He says to Moses, Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go... For I am sending who? You. The Pharaoh, you must, not, you must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Now go. Go back to Egypt. Me? God, this is your plan? An entire nation? What am I going to do? I have, a, I have a good friend. His name is Sam Well. Where's Sam? Well, that's the Sam I just prayed for. You're my new friend. I have an old Sam, too, an old friend. Where's uh, Sam Ramirez? Where are I? Oh, okay. Can you stand up, Sam? I'm just, just joking, just joking. Uh, so, <laughs> I can't hear you, and I got a microphone, so uh, too bad. Uh, Sam, <laughs> Sam goes down on the Mexico trip most years to serve as our translator. 
And, and Sam is a, is a great friend of mine. We get together weekly. And I've asked permission just to share a little bit of his story, enough to pique your interest. And if you're on the Mexico trip, you're probably going to want to dig a little deeper into his story. But Sam grew up in Guatemala. At the time, Guatemala was very, very unsafe. There were gorillas that were active everywhere. Now, this isn't like uh, uh, Planet of the Apes gorillas. This is like uh, guerrilla warfare. Uh, so, so people that were kind of against uh, what was going on in the government that kind of uh, brought together their own militias. And so it created this toxic, violent, dangerous environment in Guatemala. Sam felt like his life was at risk, and he did not want to end up serving in the military or with the guerrillas. And often those were the two choices for men. He ended up being on one side or the other. His, brother has, his, his brothers had escaped Guatemala, and, uh, and Sam decided that he would, he would try to escape as well. He crossed the border from Guatemala into Mexico, uh, and I think he tried multiple times. I forget how many times he tried, but uh, eventually he made it across. He ended up in the jungle, and I, I said to Sam, I was like, how long were you in the jungle? And he said, oh, a couple of months couple of months in the Mexican jungle on the border of Guatemala and Mexico. There was about 40 of them that kind of came together and decided they were going to try and escape together. By the time they got to the States, three quarters of them didn't make it, um, got sent back to Guatemala. Success rate was quite low. When they got to the States, they had some folks that helped them, that would take them from one place to another, that would help them uh, get what they needed. And eventually Sam made his way to the Canadian border on a greyhound, the, the Sweetgrass Coots border. But he was stopped there, and he had to wait two or three months at that border to eventually gain refugee status. Powerful story, and there's so many layers uh, to that story that you can dig into Sam on the Mexico. But, but incredible story where God uh, provided for him that he took a risk... And he fled, and he left Guatemala. Another part of Sam's story is that he started drinking alcohol at the age of 12 or 13. Which wouldn't be uncommon in that culture, with these families, with boys that were growing up without dads. Sam himself grew up without a dad. Sam's dad left the family. And Sam told me about many things he tried to do f- to God to for God to help get God to bring his dad back when he was a kid. His dad left his family for another woman. And so Sam would fast, and he said he fasted a lot. He would stay up for entire nights at a time, praying that God would help. But his dad never came back. So Sam, with this as his background, coming from Guatemala, from alcoholism, Or maybe, you know, pointing the finger at God. God, what are you going to do about it? I looked for you to help me and you you didn't. He comes to Canada. Sam, how many years were you here before you went to Mexico? About 19 years. 19 years. And God is working in his heart as he's, he's trying to carve out this different life here in Canada for himself. And God's poking at him. 
You know, Sam had a few of his own burning bush stories where, God, where he encountered God. One of those events was uh, the birth of his youngest son and what God did in his heart and how God spoke to him when his youngest son was born about the changes that God wanted to see happen in his life. And so Sam moved towards Jesus. Sam gave up alcoholism. Sam allowed Jesus to start leading and shaping and transforming his life. About six or seven years ago, I needed a translator on one of the Mexico trips I was leading, and I tapped Sam on the shoulder, and I said, Sam, you, you got to come to Mexico with me. I had no idea Sam's story. I just knew that he spoke Spanish. I was like, perfect. You speak, you speak really good Spanish, and you speak pretty good English. That's, uh, we're, we're good to go. And so we take Sam down to Mexico. This is Sam's first entry back into uh, that culture in which he fled and left. And Sam recalls going into a house, and uh, he was telling me the story on the phone when we were talking this last week, and, and I don't remember the specifics of the story quite like Sam does, uh, but there was a house with five kids, and the kids were going around, and the family was telling their story. And I do remember this moment that Sam uh, had to stop translating, and he took a break, and he walked outside, and I, and I go outside, and, and Sam, is, he's got tears in his eyes. And I'm asking him what's, what's going on. And, and he was talking about how difficult it was for him to enter into their story because he was basically just hearing his story over and over again. And as hard as that was, what, what happened in that moment was Sam saw himself in somebody else. When you start to see yourself in somebody else and you recognize the gap and the injustice and it, it starts to wreck you. So Sam prayed and he asked God to give him strength so he could go, so he could speak, so he could go back and he could translate. And Sam says God reminded him that this was where he came from and that he would give him strength to do what he's called him to do. So seven, six, seven years later, Sam is an integral part of our trip, and he's bringing leadership. He's helping change lives, and if you've ever walked around with Sam in Mexico, you know he's just like this magnet where, where he just brings hope wherever he goes, that people are encountering Jesus as they're encountering Sam. Not only that, but Sam's bringing leadership here at SunWest to our intercultural ministry. He's helping lead an English language learning uh, evening with Brad and Sharon Pahal, and they're partnering and helping bring hope uh, to people that are trying to learn English. Sam's bringing leadership to a Spanish community here. Sam is working with other non-English speaking churches in the city and in the, in the province, bringing encouragement and training and hope to other church leaders. When Moses grew up in Egypt, he learned the language and the culture. Little did he know that the place that he fled was going to be the place that God brought him back to. The place that he fled was where God was going to bring him to to fulfill the purpose that he created Moses for. You see, Sam grew up in Guatemala. He knew the culture. He knew the hurt. He knew the pain. He knew the violence. He knew the brokenness. Sam left that Latin American culture, but little did Sam know that God was going to use all of that in his past and his history to step into his God-given purpose. The past he fled from would be the past he would confront. And often we want to do something important and purposeful with our lives. 
But often going forward means confronting our past. Where did you come from? What shaped you? When Moses hears the call of God on his life, he responds like every one of us respond. Moses responds and protests to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? I ran away. God answered, I will be with you. And this is a sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell him? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. So this is to the people of Israel. I am, so say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In summary, when we ask God, who am I? God responds to us and says, who am I? God, do you know who I am? And God says, Matt, do you know who I am? Sam, do you know who I am? Well, God, do you know who I am? You know, this is a conversation. God just keeps asking us the same question. We, we, we think our purpose is rooted in our own brokenness and humanity. And God says, I am God. I actually have a purpose that I created you for. Stop looking at yourself and start looking at me. I will provide for you. I will lead you. Moses continues to complain. But God, and they go back and forth. Who am I? Well, who am I? I am who I am. God's, which is really a way of translating, I am existence, life, itself. I am the one whom everything that exists comes from. You can trust me. And we say to God, well, God, do you know what I've done? And the God looks to us and he answers, asks us the same question. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've done? Do you know the story of my son, Jesus? Do you know everything that I've done to actually prepare you for the purpose that I created you for? But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. What is that in your hand? This is God's response. Well, Moses was a shepherd, so he had a shepherd's staff in his hand. He was going to use that simple shepherd's staff to perform miracles that God would empower him to perform with his everyday staff. It would turn into a snake. It would part the Red Sea. To Moses, it was only a staff, but to God, it was whatever he needed it to be if Moses was only willing to trust him. And so I think we see, God looks at us, and we say, God, what am I supposed to do? God says, what's in your hand? A guitar? A paintbrush? A bunch of diapers? A basketball? A hammer? A stethoscope? A textbook? I don't know what's in your hand. I don't know what your story is. But often we think, God, who am I? What, what can I do? What, what do I have? And God says, well, look at what's in your hand. Because whatever is in your hand, God can use to do what he wants to do. He just needs your heart. He just needs you to be willing. He just needs you to say yes. He just needs you to trust him. I don't know your story. But I think God invites every single one of us to find this holy discontent, to find this part inside of our being that says, this is not 
okay, I'm not okay with that. And then we listen for the echo of heaven that says, I'm not okay with that either. And then God looks at you and says, what are you going to do about it? What's in your hand? How can you participate with me in what I want to do in the world? And there's this fascinating couple of sections in Exodus, and you see one in Exodus 4.16, and it's mentioned elsewhere, where God basically says to Moses, you will be like God to Aaron and to the Israelites. And remember at the beginning of the creation story that we talked about two weeks ago, God created us to be his image bearers, to be his ambassadors, to co-labor with him in what he wants to do in the world as he brings shalom and peace and renews and restores that which he created. And God wants to put his image, his stamp onto us. Moses will be like God to Aaron, his brother. Moses will be like God to the Israelites. See, some of you may be the clearest image of God that other people will get to see. When you go down to Mexico next week and you build a house, you're not just going as Matt or Sam. You're actually going as an image bearer of God who's bringing good news and hope to people that need it. And if you open your eyes long enough, you'll see that the people you're building for are also bearing the image of God, and they're going to bring good news and hope to you because you desperately need it too. Can we see the image of God in other people? Because that's what stirs this holy discontent inside of us. We keep thinking, man, I wish God would show up in this place. Man, I wish God you would do something. He did. He created you, and he created me, and he put us in this world, and he put something in our hand, and he says, what's in your hand? Now, what's the holy discontent that you feel? What are you going to do about it? Exodus chapter 6. The story's just starting to pick up steam. This is what it says. You can be sure that I have heard this God talking. I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. I share in your discontent, Moses. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you, and I will take you as my own people. Saving, freeing, redeeming, and activating This is what God does from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. What happened to Moses? He was rescued. He was saved. He he left Egypt. And then he spent 40 years detoxing, and God was freeing him. God was doing something new in him. And then what happens? God redeems him. God redeems his story. The story that he was trying to run to actually becomes the very thing that Moses relies on the language, the culture, the history, his position to go back and have the authority to bring that to somebody else. So God redeems him, and then God activates him to be his image bearer and his partner with what he wants to do for the people of Israel under the oppression of the Egyptians. And here's the challenge for me and you. Many of us want to be a part of joining God to do something in this world, but few of us want God to rearrange our hearts. We'd love to see people rescued, freed, redeemed, and activated, but we don't want to be rescued, freed, redeemed, and activated ourselves. God, do it for them, but it's hard when you do it to me. 
Well, why was Moses away from Egypt for 40 years? Because God had to do in Moses first what God wanted him, to, what God wanted to do through Moses. God can only do through you what you will let him do in you. This is how God always works. Transformation from the inside out. This is why at SunWest we talk about our core four, which is know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Because this is the pattern that God does in every single person's life. 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 He comes to save us, to rescue us. Not from the Egyptians, but from our own sin, from our own brokenness, from the ways that we have broken shalom, like we talked about in week one, with God, with others, with self, with the world. He's come to rescue us from that. And he's come to free us for all the ways that those experiences with others, with God, with self, with, with creation have actually hurt us and damaged us. God wants to bring freedom. He wants to redeem your story. Whatever your story is, he wants to actually activate it for his purposes. He wants you to discover your purpose and make a difference in the world he puts you in. Moses had to allow God to rescue him, to free him, to redeem his past so he can move forward into his future And we need to do the same thing. Moses had to know who he was and whose he was before he went and confronted Pharaoh. Moses had to be willing to return to the place that he fled from. Where are you running from? Where are you fleeing from? Because that place is probably something that you will need to confront for God to continue to work in your life to do the things he's called you to do. There's another story in the Bible about a baby, about this genocide of young boys that was happening. But instead of that being at the hand of Pharaoh, it was at the hand of Herod. And there's these two parents, Joseph and Mary, who wanted to save their young boy. And so they fleed. Where did they flee to? Egypt. And we see throughout the New Testament that Jesus is the new Moses. That Jesus came not just to rescue the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians like Moses did, but he came to rescue you and I from the enemy, from Satan, the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That Jesus came to rescue every human being. And so... We think we're reading about this Old Testament story that happened thousands of years ago, but we recognize we find ourselves in the story and that God not only sent Moses to them, but God sent Jesus to us. For those going on Mexico, I pray that you would experience a holy discontent, that you will encounter God like Moses did in the burning bush, that there'd be something that would come alive in you that say, this isn't right, and that you would hear the echo of heaven that says, I know. What are you going to do about it? But will you first allow me to rescue you, to free you, to redeem your story, to redeem your past so that you can be about the purposes that I've called you to be? And I hope that not only for those going to Mexico, but for all those of us that have to stay back and hear about the stories later, that God would encounter us, that we would, whatever your normal life looks like, experience this holy discontent we start asking the question, God, what do you want me to be about? What do you want me to do? And then allow him to first work in your heart and then out the world around you. I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to pray for you. 
band's going to lead us in one more song. If there is anything that you would uh, want prayer for, uh, we have prayer teams available at the end of every service. We'd love to pray for you, bless you, encourage you. And so after the worship song is done, we invite you to, to come forward for prayer. Um, and if you're not coming forward for prayer, we invite you to go backwards for tacos and uh, to, to stick around. So let's pray. God, we thank you for how you work. Lord, we thank you for the story of Moses, that you took someone who was afraid, someone that fled, and you actually called them out. You used their past that they were running from to actually be the thing you catapulted them from into their future. Lord, I thank you that that's true of Sam's story. I thank you for my brother Sam, who you've, who you've rescued, you freed, you redeemed, and then you activated. Lord, I thank you for how you've done that in my life. And Lord, I, I think we could go around this room and, and, and every single person has the opportunity to live out that same story. So ultimately, Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be our, our Moses. You sent Jesus to rescue us, to redeem us, to call us out, and then to partner with him in what he wants to do in this world. I pray you would open our eyes, open our hearts to what you're doing around us so that we can participate with you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, 